and welcome to the gray area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 55th episode in a weekly series called End of Nations. Here with me is Lance, the community manager from Tryon Worlds, and welcome, Lance. Hi, it's good, good to be here. Oh, it's good to have you here. My co-host Dave is uh, currently having a religious experience with the bucket, and he just went back to work today, so I think he's going to sit this one out, and it's just going to be you and me. And because of that, you get the weekly intro that I usually share um, to introduce Dave. Now I get to introduce you. His mouth is full of words, and he's going to put them in your ear. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Okay. All right. Last week's episode was a discussion with Tinzian about Mass Effect 3 Demo, Witcher 2, Syndicate, and more. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is February 24th on Friday, and we talk more about Lance and also the new MMO RTS uh, from Tryon Worlds called End of Nations. So let's begin with news of the week. On February 28th, the multiplayer portions of Sony's first-person shooter, which is a blockbuster title called Killzone 3, is going to be released for the PlayStation Network as a free download, which is exciting. And the free version will have a couple restrictions, but it will include Killzone 3, Warzone, Guerrilla Warfare, and Operation modes, as well as all the maps and DLCs. Um, the only thing that the free players will be prevented from ranking up past Sergeant and... That's pretty much the only restriction. You can buy the whole thing for fourteen ninety nine, which is the full game, and it includes an extensive single-player mode. Have you ever played that? I have not, actually. No. no. Sounds fun. Yeah. Me neither. I have to check it out. <laughs> okay. The next Pokemon game has some news coming out as soon as this Sunday. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but here we go. Junicha Masudo... One of, Ooh, the, nice. <laughs> one of the original minds behind the role-playing series, and he's also the director of Pokemon Black and White. Uh, he has said in kind of a teaser that he was going to make a really important announcement on his blog today, and he will announce it on the show after Twitter. So if you like Pokemon, the next game called Pokemon Grey could be coming out as soon as this weekend, so we'll see. And the Mass Effect 3 DLC controversy. I don't, I don't know if you read about that. It's kind of everywhere. Probably. Right. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. Yes. A lot of people are of mixed opinions on this, and I've had some people on the Facebook page talking about it and asking me also what I think. And because I'm a, a fan of Bioware, I'm inclined to believe that uh, when Mass Effect 3 is going to be released, that they probably finished the game and they said that they had three months extra, turned it over to a different team, made the DLC, and then put that as part of the game. Personally, I think that it's probably a little bit of a... They're probably wishing that they may have held that for a couple months to save themselves on PR. But um, in this case, I don't feel like they have made an essential core element of the game and tried to make you pay for that. I think that it's just kind of bad timing on how it worked out. But people are saying that it is very wrong and appalling to have a game created, a full complete game, and then make people pay for for base elements of that game that should be included with it, which I, I do agree with that. What's your thought on that? 
Well, that's part of it, giving the consumer, you know, what they expect and having them pay what they expect. Uh, I do kind of agree it's probably just bad timing, honestly. Um, I don't know if that was our intention or just what happened, but I think it's probably, like you said, just bad timing. Yes. Uh, there's a quote from associate producer Michael Gamble, and he said the, thro- the Prothean, which is the content that's in the DLC, the Prothean is optional content that is certainly designed to appeal to longtime fans, which is why he's part of this, the CE offering. Mass Effect is a complete and a huge game right out of the box, and the content from Ashes, which is the DLC, was developed by a separate team after the core game was finished and not completed until well after the main game. So that is the official stance from Bioware on that. So you can go to the Facebook page if you want to debate that with other people, but that's where we stand. All right, now to you, Lance. All right. Yeah. While researching you, uh, I found you have several doppelgangers. I don't know if you know this. Um, uh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I did one, not. one was a keynote speaker at the Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force meetings, which, wow, impressive. That's interesting. He sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. You have like a, a secret uh, spy doppelganger. That's very cool. Yeah. We'll Google him in a little bit, I guess. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Uh, I know that you worked at Heaven's Games, which I believe did the Age of Empires. Is that correct? Yeah, they did Age of Empires series. They did the Pharaoh series, Zeus, all kinds of RTS games. They're awesome. still still going strong. Age of Empires. See, I have to confess right here that I'm not a huge RTS fan. I've played Civilization and I've played Age of Empires, which I do like, and I'm really cool that you were a part of that. But uh, I'm going to need some help with this because I want to know, one of my questions is to you for Age of Na- for End of Nations later, uh, if you're not a huge strategy person, can you handle this game or is it only for the hardcore, you know, super strategists? We'll get sure. to that. We'll get to that. Awesome. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, do you think that your previous military uh, training gives you an advantage in RTS? Are you, like, well-trained by professionals to be? In, real, in real-time strategy games? Well, uh, in terms of playing the games, probably not. Uh, however, as far as just dealing with things, uh, probably. Um, it's funny, I, I see people around the office play, and they get kind of you know, worked up in the middle of a, a heated game or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, so my experience probably allows me to remain cool-headed rather than make uh, an emotional decision. I can still make a <laughs> tactical decision, if that makes sense. Yes, very much so. so I, th- I think that pays off. I think that's the thing about first-person shooters and real-time strategy is that people do. Their blood really gets going, and uh, there's exactly. a lot of adrenaline in that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay, and let's move to how did, how did you get introduced to Tryon, and, and actually, how did you get into the community management um, genre of work in the first place? Uh, so the first place, I guess I'll start there and just work my way forward. Uh, I was actually playing a lot of Age of Empires 2, the Age of Kings, and I got uh, pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And I was asked to write some strategy guides, so I started off doing that for Heaven Games. I uh, eventually made a good connection there, and he asked me to take over Age of Empires 3, Heaven. I ran the whole thing there for quite a while. Uh, then moved on to Age of Empires Online, Heaven. Moved that for... Uh, Probably six months, give or take. Okay. And then I saw Innovations pop up on the radar, and they were looking for a community manager person, and I applied, and voila, here I am. Nice. Definitely. That was an awesome ride. So how does that take you to try on? Well, what do you mean? Sorry. 
Well, in terms of being here. Yes. Yes. Uh, I literally just applied and interviewed and all that good stuff, and now I'm a try on. Ooh. So it was pretty simple. I mean, there's no like smoke and mirrors or anything. <laughs> so. so, what does a community manager job entail? I like to ask that to everyone because I'm super jealous. It's one of the things I'd love to do eventually, and I have to live vicariously through you. So, give me something good. <laughs> so, I think it's funny you ask that now. I'm sure you saw the memes running around now of. You know, what somebody <laughs> thinks I thinks. do and what I actually do and <laughs> right, all that good right. stuff. Uh, so I highly suggest you Google that one. Look at that meme for the community manager. Uh, well, the core responsibility is actually, you know, being responsible for the community of whichever, you know, community you're a part of or working with. That's the core responsibility, relying, um, remaining faithful to that community and, you know, protecting them and working with them. However, uh, community manager does a lot of different things regardless of, or, you know, wherever they're at. For example, another company might be doing PR stuff, media stuff. Another company might be doing all of the above, or you might not be doing any of that. You might be doing social media stuff. It just oh. depends on what company you're working for. Okay, so it's specific, it changes. It definitely does. Um, I think we're lucky here with Tryon that we've got a great community team, and we work together on whether it's social media or what have you. And we actually work with all the other departments quite well as well. So everything works out in a nice, you know, team environment. We're all one team working for one goal. So it's very, very good. Definitely. Awesome. Well, say hi to Cindy for us because we had her on before and she was really fun on the show as well. Definitely will. And she uh, was very excited to hear that you want to talk to us. So, <laughs> or me, rather, I guess. But good. definitely tell her. Good. What is some of your favorite parts of being a community manager? Hmm. Favorite parts? Uh, well, I actually really enjoy the interaction I get between the community and the developers or the producers or whoever I talk to, whether it's a, you know, depending on who the question is for. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where I'm kind of like a middleman, per se, I guess, where I get the interaction going both ways. So I kind of coordinate stuff from the community to the devs and vice versa, from the devs to the community. So I really enjoy that interaction. Mm -hmm. Um... And then there's just the general interaction with the fans, like the community. It's just an awesome thing where, you know, on be it through Facebook or Twitter or you know, our forums, what have you. I just love the interaction there. It's just a fun thing to do. So, or for me, it is anyway. So, I've seen a lot of videos lately with you. Uh, I don't know if they're they're at conventions or where they are, where people are interviewing you, kind of live. How do you feel about that? Is that different? Uh. Yeah, it's different. I just, uh, well, I'm not opposed to doing what have you, you know, whether it's a live interview or getting up, making a fool of myself or whatever. <laughs> I'm not shy. I'll put it that way. I'll get up and say whatever, talk to whoever. Um, I enjoy it, actually. And, uh, well, something I did in high school a while ago was actually I did debate for quite a while. So I think that prepared me for getting up in front of people and speaking and all that good stuff. So. Okay. I've got that foundation to build upon, so I think it definitely helped me. Very nice. Now you know what's coming. What's your least favorite part? Least favorite part? Mm. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think of something I don't like. Well, coming from my previous kind of fan site role with Heaven Games, I I could I was a lot more liberal in what I could do, I guess. Okay. Working with Tryon and for the company on the industry side of it, it's obviously something where I can't just do what I want to do all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, everything has a process and has to be 
whether it's approved or, you know, go through certain steps. Uh, probably stuff like that, even though that's not really that big of a deal on itself either. It's just it's more of an inconvenience, I guess. But okay. I guess that's probably it. There's no real big complaints on my end. Sometimes I visualize community managers as like, if you've ever seen the Orbitz commercial where, Ooh. you know, someone's saying something and you got to put the gum in their mouth and then it comes out like English and posh and very like, you know, like the translator between the two Definitely. parties and, uh, you know, making it so that it's appropriate for both people to be hearing. You're like Definitely. the filter. That does happen, but uh, I'm okay with that. Um, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm okay with, uh, you know, somebody come up and telling me, this is what I want to say, how do I say it, type of situation. That does happen, so, but I'm okay with that. I don't mind that at all, really. Nice. Okay, let's take a little break here and hear from our friend Skeggy the Poet this week. He has something extra special, so I hope you are stout-hearted as we go into this. And here is our poem from Skeggy the Poet. mind it's hard to find the time to clear it he's the boy with the broken brain not insane but never happy shopping up those fangs not insane but never happy Hello and welcome to Get the Girl, Kill the Baddies and Save the Entire Planet. Gaming Poetry, episode number 10, with me, Skaggy the Poet. Proud to be in the gin and tonic of podcasting, perhaps as a lemon. Who knows? Hmm. Anyway, I'm seriously disturbed this week, as my poem will tell you. It needs no introduction other than its title, My Guild Leader has got no trousers on. Our guild leader is a sterling chap, always first into any fight, full of support and good advice, and a fine tank on raid nights. But the other day, as we grouped on the mission deck, a quite bizarre sight greeted me. I thought my eyes needed a check. But it's no illusion. My guild leader's got no trousers on. Up and down the mission deck he strides, Yes, my guild leader's got no trousers on. He's marching around with pride. People are stopping to gape or stare as round the room he starts to prance. I wonder, could this look any more odd? Why, yes, he's just typed slash dance. Now my guild leader's dancing with no trousers on. Look at him getting down with the funk. He twirls and whirls like a disco golfer whose balls are stuck in the rough. He says in general trat, being trouserless is best, but it's a great cure for the blues. Then he invites one and all to join in, saying, what have you got to lose? So now I've got no trousers on. I find it quite liberating. And as I slash dance with my guildies, I'm told it looks quite entertaining. So if you find your guild leader with no trousers on, don't huff, grimace or tut. Just remove your own trousers instead and proceed to strut your funky stuff. For those of you interested in such things, yes, that is based on a true story. In fact, it's 100% true. Guildmaster, you know who you are. Well, you might do as well if you follow me on Twitter. Anyway, um, enough said, really. Don't think there's anything else I can say. Does your Guildmaster have odd habits? Why not write them down, and then 
keep them to yourself. No, Earl, send them to me. I'll turn them into a poem. Write to me via the Grey Area Podcast or skaggythepoet at aol.co.uk. Follow me on Twitter at skaggypoet, all one word. Until next time, when I hope my guild leader is better dressed, toodlepip. Thank you to Skaggy for that (laughs) unusual and amusing poem this week. As always, a pleasure to have him on. And now let's return to Lance and get to the game End of Nations. Okay, let's move to the game. Um, if you could give us a description of the story for the listeners. So the story, let's see. So End of Nations is set roughly 50 years in the future. Uh, basically the world itself, as we know it today, had economic collapse and basically all of the governmental powers kind of failed. The world's in ruins, all this good stuff. A group comes in called the Order of Nations. Uh, they start off nice. They're trying to help out everybody, help the world, you know, recuperate. Uh, before everybody realizes that they've given up all their freedoms. They've given up everything that they held dear. They are basically prisoners and slaves. So from that, we have two factions that come up, which happen to be the Liberation Front and the Shadow Revolution. And basically their whole goal is to you know, regain some kind of independence, some kind of freedom from the Order of Nations. Now, the Shadow Revolution is actually a splintered off group from the Order of Nations. So they're trying to run the world they, you know, the way they think it should be run. It's not necessarily a better way, but it's just their own way. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Liberation Front, who are the remnants of some of the old superpowers, you know, such as Russia, United States, uh, Great Britain, things like that, just trying to make things like the way they were previously. And those will be the two-player factions. And from there, it's just a pretty much a dogfight between all three of them. Now, I understand the Shadow Revolution wants to bring the uh, Order of Nations back to what they felt that it should have been at the beginning, and they're using words like strength, security, and justice. What has the Order of Nations become that they're against at this point? It's just the fact that it's more of like a power struggle, I guess. I wouldn't exactly say that uh, the Shadow Revolution are the... That's a good word I can use to describe them there. Are they the anti-hero? I, I don't want to say anti-hero, because it's all in your perspective. Like, how do you view them? You know, I, w- I don't want to say good or evil or anything like that, or anti-hero. It's just, they don't agree with the way the Order of Nations is running things, mm-hmm. and they want to run it their way. It's more like a greed factor, if you will, I guess. A power oh, thing. Okay. Which faction do you play? Uh, I actually play both quite regularly, but probably Liberation Front. Uh, I really enjoy running things over with tanks. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. The moral of ground with my tank. Basically, yeah. There's no better feeling than just taking over uh, an enemy with lots of tanks. Nice. Now, there's a single and a multiplayer version. Obviously, the people is the difference in the multiplayer, but with the single, do you have a versus AI, or how does the single story go? So it's important to note that this is first off an online game. So it's, regardless of how many people are playing with, it's always going to be online. So it's not like there's a single-player offline game. It's all connected to a server shard scenario. Uh, But on top of that, we do have scenarios where you might be playing with other people, competing against AI, or doing missions against an AI-controlled enemy, things like that. Okay. And multiplayer is more of a PvP? Is that the classification? Okay, Okay, exactly. And I understand that that 
that aspect of PvP is very different in that there's a potential of having a large group, uh, say upward of 26 v 26 um, in co-ops. And can you explain how that works or the idea of, I guess, people having personal units and, and how this all works together? Sure. So most traditional RTS games, you can only max out with, you know, a 4v4 or maybe even an 8v8, something like that. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we're really raising the stakes and going all the way up to 26 v 26. And part of the way we're doing that is based on how the game functions and, you know, works, technology, you know, the technical specs and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part of that is the way we, the way innovations works. So you go into every battle with a set number of units, a set number of tactical structures, and a set number of commander abilities. Then you literally just hop into battle. There's no base building, there's no unit building within each map. So it's kind of like you're picking up all your pieces before you go into a map, and you're playing with those pieces the entire map. So it's more of a, in that sense, it's more of kind of like a tabletop game and how it works, but we're taking it to a larger scale. What is this I'm hearing about tickets for units or the loadout concerns? How does that work if you kind of already put in everything on the map and you don't have to worry about that? So one of the things we've actually got, and we brought up in a couple of our Warfront episodes, is companies. So say, like, you know, you bring a knife to a gunfight. You get to the map and you realize... I brought the completely wrong units. Rather than that player being stuck with, you know, the wrong units the entire game, we're working on ways, and we have some of them already implemented, which are called companies, and we allow you to set up multiple companies. What these companies are, it's just basically another loadout set up for whatever scenario. Mm -hmm. For example, you go into a match, you don't have any anti-air, it's super obvious right off the bat, click a button, switch to that anti-air company, and there you go you have the option of switching over to something that might be more effective in a given scenario. Okay. Do you know of any other MMORTS games? Because I've never heard of anything like this before until End of Nations came out. Not very many. That's definitely one of those things where, you know, the RTS genre in itself has kind of been stale for, you know, a while. Uh, the Age of Empires Online recently came out. They uh, attempted, or they are MMORTS. Okay. Uh, but we're really a different breed. We're our own unique individual at this point in time, whereas we're taking a lot of innovation, throwing it together, and making up innovations. And it's, so far, it's paying off quite well. Uh, the people that created this are also the people that, I understand, made Command & Conquer. Is it Petroglyph? Is that how we say it? That is. It's um, Petroglyph Studios. Yes. Now, for End of Nations... Uh, a lot of people are very excited about this game and can't wait for it to come out. But there are things in the future that are coming out as well, like Command & Conquer 2 and things of that nature. What what makes this game something that you definitely have to play that's really unique and that you want to pick up? Well, there's several things, actually. And one of those things being that we're truly, first and foremost, a great RTS game. We have that strategy fun element that people might have experienced you know, 10 years ago. Uh, the second thing is, we're really, we've blended some great MMO aspects that will, you know, things that will feature, like our metagame, which is a constantly evolving world where the two player factions are literally fighting for control of the maps for the world. Now, probably the most compelling thing is the fact that we're free to play. Yes. And that's not, and I want to stress that we're not pay to win. And that's something that's very core to our beliefs. So... You can play our full game, no level caps, you get access to all the units, all that good stuff, for free. So that's, if anything, that's probably the biggest reason people should play it, because it doesn't cost them anything. There are no caps for this as well, right? I mean, you can play the whole way up. Definitely. There's no yeah. level caps, no level restrictions, no tech tree restrictions, nothing. 
What sort of things would you get with a subscription if you decide to get one? So our subscription model hasn't really been, you know, exactly hammered out yet in details. But uh, I can tell you some of the stuff we're offering for sale, which would be customization and convenience options. Maybe a skin, maybe some colors, maybe some experience boost, maybe some loot boosts. And those are things where, you know, you might get to a certain level quicker, but that doesn't necessarily mean you gain any skills or any power. So it's one of those things we're not selling, you know, a huge advantage. You can't come into any map, throw down a hundred bucks and win. That won't happen in this game. How did the marriage of MMO and RTS come about? What aspects were taken from each and deemed the most important to implement in this? Uh, sure. Okay. So I guess I'll start with RTS. Um, we really felt like that that was a genre where hasn't really seen any innovation in the past you know, decade or so. It's been kind of a stale thing, maybe even forgotten by some people. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really taking that, you know, the, the fun factor of the RTS, which, you know, it's a, it should be a fun thing. It shouldn't be this tedious task. So we really focused on, you know, what made RTS fun. And that's, you know, hop into battle, make some, you know, try to think a couple steps ahead. What makes, you know, play with a bunch of units, blow stuff up. You know, make tactical choices, things like that. Things that are simple and fun for most people to do. And then we just expanded on all that. Uh, for the MMO type things, we added in our persistent metagame, which is where the players are, you know, actually fighting for territory control. Mm-hmm. We added in our commander, which is kind of like a traditional MMO, com- you know, character. Because he levels up, he has a tech tree, he goes through to picking, you know, certain skills and tactics and things like that. And that actually goes to add into the fact that within each commander, you can only specialize so far. Uh, the tech trees are so large that through one playthrough, one commander leveled all the way up, you won't be able to get everything on the tech tree. So there's really lots of, you know, flexibility there within each tech tree for the commanders. So it's something that's, you know, a traditional MMO player will or should appreciate. For somebody like me who isn't that familiar with RTSs, can you break down the commander? Everyone has... When you come into the game, the first thing that happens to you, like, take me through the process, okay? You enter the first screen. What, what happens? Sure. So you, first off, select your faction, then your class. Okay. Then you name your commander. And that's and just you. Is that is that what they're calling you? Like Correct. Okay. That is you. He's like, you'll never actually see your commander. He's just something that you are. It's okay. basically you sitting at your computer. You are the commander. And from there, you straight hop into our war room, which is where you get a top-down view of the globe, and you see real-time how the factions are controlling the world. Mm-hmm. And basically, from that point on, you just go to the, your armory, and that's where you'll see your units that you have and own and your companies that you've already, you know, selected and all that good stuff. And it's literally from that point, just a simple click to whichever map you want to play on. Hopefully, you start with the tutorial, but <laughs> if you want to skip that, you can. And from there, you literally just hop into battle, and it's a simple left-click to select units, and a right-click to move, and a right-click to attack, and that's pretty much it. So you can choose anywhere on the map you want to be. It's not based on, like, levels where you, where you can go. Uh, as of now, it's not based on levels. Okay. Uh, we do have future matchmaking ideas, but, you know, right now it's not based on level, and uh, we do have quite a few maps for people to play on. I read something about a news ticker at the bottom. Is that the way you communicate with your faction, or what is the news ticker? So the ticker at the bottom of the screen is something that's really cool. It's a real-time updated ticker of what's going on in the world. 
whether that's, it's always going to be personalized to you as well. So you'll see when your friends come online, you'll see when some kind of, you know, world event comes online. You might see something where, say I'm playing as Liberation Front, I might see something scroll across the screen saying that Shadow Revolution just took over, you know, such and such territory or what have you. It's just a way for us to give you in real time information that would be useful to you. Okay. So it's actually a pretty cool little thing. What sort of goals are there uh, besides the standard capture the base uh, in the game? Game modes. So we recently announced some of them when we did our game mode contest. Uh, we have domination, which is a first-person shooter. Will, you know, will fully understand what domination is. It's you know we have points on the map. You need to capture them and hold them to win the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have things like base versus base, which is more of a traditional what an RTS player would expect, where you're literally trying to blow up the other person's base. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our last man standing slash survival modes, which some of those you're literally competing on a map and you're trying to hold out as long as you can against enemy AI. And sometimes you're in the same scenario, but you're trying to hold out longer than your you know opposing you know whoever you're playing against, which is also against enemy AI. So those are both very fun. Similar to traditional comp stomps, where RTS players would be coming from, mm-hmm. with a blend of like a horde mode from, you know, other oh. first-person shooter type games. So that's a very fun. Uh, we've got a few more in the bag as well, but that's uh, that's all we've got down so far. Okay. What about friendly fire? Does that exist? It does not exist. It would uh, just imagine you know playing on a team of twenty-six people and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that'd be kind of crazy. <laughs> Definitely. That would make things very difficult. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Uh, what sort of tactics are necessary, uh, especially for someone who's new at it like me, that would be needed to capture the other base? And so there's buildings and super weapons in between the areas you're going for. And something about the amount of income you get giving you certain options. Tell me about that. Okay. Uh, well, as far as tactics go, that's where I think Innovations really offers a lot of promise. We have people, you know, like for PAX last year, for example, we had people come up, play Innovations, they never touched it before, and they never, maybe never played an RTS before, and they can come in, they know how to left-click and right-click, and they can be, you know, pretty successful at it. Now, the more time you spend with it, the more you'll learn, the more you'll figure out, and you'll notice that, you know, Maybe I can use my unit abilities a little bit better. Maybe I could use this commander ability. Maybe I could use this tactical structure in a different spot, things like that, where it really offers a lot of depth. However, to be successful, you might not need to take advantage of that depth. I mean, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as, you know, using your tactical resources more efficiently or what have you, uh, well, some of the super weapons, some of the commander abilities uh, are quite expensive. Like, we have a nuke in the game, which is super awesome. Uh, we have all kinds of fun toys to blow stuff up with, basically. So they're not things that you acquire uh, on the actual map. They're things that you have to level up in your own uh, commander. Well, some of those are both, actually. Some maps do offer you unique abilities to that map, and other times you level up and gain abilities. So it's it's both. Excellent. What is the story with your Twitter name, M-Y-L-L-E-R-I-K? Ooh, it's a Mill Eric, by the way. Yeah. So, how'd that start? I guess one of the first games I played was the original... Well, it was not one of the first games I played. Well, one of the first games I played online, I'll say that, was the original Age of Empires. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a hero unit for Eric the Red. So that I kind of took that nickname and played that online. 
so then I moved over to Age of Empires 2. I ditched the the red part and just kept Eric. And then I was invited to join a pretty successful gaming clan called the Mill Clan. And since then, it's just kind of stuck with me. Mill Eric. <laughs> so it's just kind of stayed with me for the past uh, five or six years, probably. I guess longer. Wow. Wow. That brings us to a good yeah. question. There's clans in here. What sort of customization options do you have if you if you make a clan, which I assume is very synonymous with guild or you know group of people working together? Explain Definitely. the clans and and what kind of options do you have with those? Well, still a work in progress for us, definitely. But we really hope to cater to those people who enjoy working as a team, those people who enjoy playing together. So while we're still a work in progress, it's definitely something that's high on our priority list. So okay, yeah. My experience with games of this nature is that there's always a couple people that um, sort of dominate the chat in a way that they kind of become the default commanders and tell people the best tactics and where they should be and stuff like that, at least in first-person shooter. Do you find that that's the case in real-time strategy? And what sort of chat things can you expect? I understand you're okay with trash talk, but what sort of chat conversations are typical? Well, that's a funny thing, actually. So... Here in the office, we play quite often, so we, uh, you know, we sit in our little areas and all that good stuff, and somebody, you know, a few doors down will be yelling somebody else a few doors down what to do and all that good stuff, so that happens, just giving, like, you know, come save me, I'm in trouble, or, you know, bring the tanks, or bring the choppers, what have you, something like that. They'll yell that throughout the whole way, so that stuff happens. <laughs> um, as far as chat, we saw things where... You know, players will get into a match. Nobody will know what's going on. One guy starts giving out commands via pings or alerts on the map. That happens off quite often. That happens a lot, actually. And then there's, like you said, there are people that will just, you know, start either chatting via, you know, text or chat or what have you. And stuff like that does happen. This is basically some of the same things, really. So it, work, it works out quite well. So is there a universal faction channel? Uh, as of now, there is, yes. Okay. I can't say for sure that'll be the way it will be, but for now, yes. All right. Is there anything else you can think of that we should discuss? We're getting close to the end. So, let's see here. Anything else to discuss? Well, we are free to play, which is probably one of the important things, obviously. Which means we're not pay to win, but we are free to play. Mm -hmm. uh, we're massive, persistent strategy. And when we say massive, we fully mean massive. And I guess the most important factor to take away is that, you know, we really want to make the best possible strategy game we can. And that's our primary focus in making the best RTS we can. And then blend in some great MMO elements to make a compelling game, you know, that people want to keep coming back to and keep playing. A big thank you to Lance. And you can find him on Twitter at M-Y-L-L underscore E-R-I-K, which is Mill Eric or at endofnations.com. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to Gray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.